I'm Jerry Joyce. I am a real alcoholic. <clears throat> um, I don't know how this story's going to come out tonight. The only thing I really deliberated on was how I was going to end it. So let's just do that now. <laughs> <clears throat> you know, I've, I've been blessed to be able to speak in a lot of places. And uh, I, I usually don't get uh, nervous, but I'm a little, uh, little on edge tonight. But uh, we'll see how it goes. But uh, anyway, start at the beginning. I was born January 17, 1951. And... Uh, my story's not going to start there. Uh, that's just when I started. I, I have heard people get up here and, and they tell you when they was born and then they went through the first grade and we went through the second grade, all the way through college, and then they took their first drink at quarter to nine. <clears throat> We're not going to do that. Um, I came from a good family. Uh, my dad uh, was a... Uh, good provider. My mother didn't have to work. and She had really had her hands full taking care of me and my two brothers. I have a younger brother and about a year and a half younger and I have an older brother three years older. Um, we all uh, we all got out in uh, 1975. Uh, Jim, my younger brother, he graduated from the University of uh, West Carolina and my brother, uh, my older brother, he graduated from one of those universities out in California. And I got out of the penitentiary. <laughs> we, we all got out in 1975. <laughs> um, going back a little ways, and I had the same opportunity as they did. I just chose a different path. Uh, going up, I, you know, I had, you know, school was kind of rough for me, but I really enjoyed going because all my friends were there, you know. Uh, I, I skipped a couple of times. I couldn't figure out what to do. My, my friends were not where I was at. So, uh, but anyway, my reading skills were real poor. And my home group members probably, you know, have find that a little bit hard to believe because I, I finally picked up on my re learn, uh, reading skills as the years went by. And I can read. I can read good. And I got a lot of our material pretty much memorized. Um... But my mama pushed me through school, and, you know, I was always uh, looking for something to get into. I was, I was the, you know, I was a black sheep. I was always getting into something. Um, my, my friend, uh, my neighbor, his dad, uh, talk about the first drink I ever took. Uh, my, his, my, my friend, uh, neighbor, his dad was an alcoholic, not because I, I say so, because he said so. But, uh, but uh, he went off, him and his wife went somewhere and left uh, my, my friend and me. And he was, well, he didn't leave me, but I was there and he was watching after his uh, younger sister. And he said, you want to try this? He reached up in the uh, closet and pulled out, you know, a, a jug of uh, white liquor. Oh, I say white liquor, I don't mean vodka. This was moonshine. It was a real deal. <laughs> it was a real deal. And I don't know what y'all's first drink was. Well, when I took that drink, it was like a lot of uh, speakers that I've heard. You know, it, it it went down. I was scared to death taking that drink. And then when it went down, I could feel it every inch of the way down. And when it hit my stomach, I could feel it all the way to my toes, all the way out to the end of my fingers, my all the way up to my forehead. My forehead immediately got a heat rush, and and you know, and it just came all over me. And you know. Uh, 
it was a feeling, uh, experience that I, you know, I'd never, I'd never experienced before. And so, uh, each time he'd leave the room, I'd grab that jug and take me another wall. I want, I wanted to get some more of that. And so, uh, <coughs> so that was my first encounter. <coughs> next, next opportunity I had <coughs> was. Uh, me and one of my buddies, we decided to camp out. You know, when you start drinking, you find reasons to start. All of a sudden, you got an urge to start camping out. And so we, we camped out and got a, got another friend of ours to get us a, a pint of uh, vodka. And, and so we out in his backyard camping out. And uh, and we drank that, that vodka, you know. And, and for the first few minutes, it was like it took me places I'd never been before. Until I, you know, after a few minutes, I threw up everything I had ate from beginning of time. And uh, so, and it uh, it took me a little, you know, uh, and and it didn't turn loose of me for for a little while, you know. I, you know, I said that first prayer that night. I, I I had no idea you could be that sick and live through it. I I I just couldn't, you know. I I didn't realize it, you know. It took me really. I was really sick. And so, uh, but after a couple of days, you know, I got over it and everything, you know, and I, I started, you know, going over it in my mind, and I was thinking, you know, there wasn't no instructions on that bottle. So I, I know I did something wrong, and so there's got to be a way that I can do this, because I, I really like that feeling I had for, for that short amount of time. So I thought, you know, maybe it, maybe it was the vodka, you know, maybe I need to drink, like, bourbon or or, you know, not as much or, you know, Feel it out, figure it out. So I spent the rest, you know, the next 35 years trying to figure it out. <laughs> so uh, anyway, that was my first couple of drinks and my first experiences. And, you know, every every opportunity I got after that was an opportunity to get away from my parents and, and seek out alcohol. And, uh, you know, I'd go to uh, sporting events, uh, football games and stuff like that, and I'd show my tail uh, thinking I, I was invisible, I guess, because, you know, I'd get out in public and, you know, and act like, you know, I was invisible. And, and, and you know, it was already starting to get me in trouble, and, uh, you know, I, 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 I was mischievous, and, I, I, you know, I'd get in trouble. I'd get in fights, start drinking, and think I was broad and big and bad and get into a fight, and it caused me to be put on probation. And... Uh, so I got to the 12th grade and uh, looked like I might be able to graduate. And I, I had me a, had me a girlfriend. She lived over in Stoneville. I, I, I'm from Eden, and uh, so uh, anyway, we we had planned on getting married. And uh, well, let's see. I never did qualify. <laughs> so to qualify, uh, my sobriety date is uh, uh, May the 20th of 2000. And so. Uh, and I'll tell you, you know, how I got to that point. I do have a sponsor. He's got a sponsor. I sponsor folks. And I've had good and bad luck with that. But, you know, uh, I, I've still got a 100% success rate because I hadn't had to drink over none of them yet. Uh, unfortunately, they've had, they found it necessary to drink some of them, but, but I haven't drank over any of them yet. So anyway, so, uh, you know, I get through school and... Uh, and I'll graduate, and um, 
eventually, you know, I get my driver's license and the first thing I do, uh, you know, I'm on, a, I'm already in trouble and on probation and on a curfew and all this and I, I stay out too late and I'm in somebody's boyd car. The law gets behind me in town, which next thing you know, I have got a ticket about a yard long. I, I take off and I run from the police and, and the ticket start, you know, goes from it was back when the police had red lights, so it was failing to yield for a red light. I was doing 95 and a 20 mile an hour zone. We was in we was in city limits in downtown. Uh, running three red lights, careless and reckless, leaving the scene of accident, hauling illegal taxpayers liquor, on and on and on. Anyway, so they took my driver's license, and so uh, that was one of the things. And I was going to have to. Uh, uh, I was going to have to do weekends in jail. And so uh, what happened was that uh, in the, right during this period of time, you know, I was engaged to this one girl, and I had that neighborhood girl, you know, and we'd been seeing each other off and on, you know. Actually, we was first date, first kiss, and all that sort of stuff, you know. And, and she kind of liked to do a lot of the same things I did. And, you know, when you take boys and girls and put them together, you know, somebody ends up pregnant. And, on occasion, and so that changed the course of my life from then on. I didn't marry the one that I was engaged to. I married the other girl, and so I went. Every town used to have its own court and own uh, judge and everything. So I go over to the judge's house. I go up in his house. And I said, "If I if I get a job transfer out of town, can or out of state, can I? You know, can I do that?" He said, as long as you get away from these people around here. So I guess I got run out of town when I was 18, 19 years old. So anyway, we go to Lynchburg, and I go up there, and, you know, I think the drink, drinking limit was about 18 then, you know, and you could go to, I could go to the grocery store, and beer was, uh, Valentine beer was, a uh, six-pack hot was 88 cents, and it was 98 cent cold for a six-pack. So... You know, it uh, wasn't wouldn't too hard to afford alcohol. and uh, But, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm like really young and really stupid, and, you know, and I'm trying to drink and pass out and then get up in the morning and, and do a job, and, and I'm not doing very well, and so I get fired and I start bouncing around. No, I, no, I actually, I actually quit the job. I, you know how we feel like we, we know we're going to get fired? And so I'll, I'll, I'll fix you. So I quit and moved to another job and, you know, and then I did get fired from that job and another job and I get fired from that. And by that time, it was past this probationary time, you know, and I thought, well, we can go back home. So we came back to, uh, to North Carolina and back to Eden and her parents were pretty well off and mine were doing okay too. And they helped us get a, get a real nice place to live and, <clears throat> and so, uh, we were on our way, but uh, unfortunately, uh, you know, after after our son was born, uh, you know, she got she could start drinking again. So there we, me and her, were drinking again, and our place turned into a party place. And you know, and we'd get up and have to step over our friends passed out in the living room and all, and it was just a party place. And you know, it, it really wasn't a, a real good marriage because we were still kids. You know, we didn't know what we was doing. And we kind of parted our way apart. That's the way I call it. And so we, we split up. She 
We went different ways. Now this is in the, uh, this is like 1970. And uh, there was a lot going on in, in the world in 1970. And, you know, we was hearing about a lot of this stuff. And, you know, uh, drinking was a big thing around town. But, you know, we were starting to hear about, like, these things out in California. We was reading about this LSD stuff and this marijuana and this hash and mescaline and psilocybin and all this crazy stuff, you know. And, and so me and some of my friends... We heard about this lifestyle of these hippies, you know. They'd go to these big cities and, uh, you know, and it was like uh, peace and love and drugs and rock and roll. And I thought, oh, that sounded good to me. <laughs> so, uh, so I, I, I you know, I, I go buy some patches and put them on my clothes. And, uh, and so we're off to Atlanta, Georgia, and we go down there and we start experimenting with all kind of different stuff, you know. And I, I tried a little bit of everything that I could find, every, every, you know, which was about everything that you could, uh, it would, uh, you know, my, mood altering substance. So uh, anyway, I stayed down there for a while. Me and my friends stayed down, and then we started, you know, like going back and forth. We kind of got into the shipping and receiving kind of a st <laughs> deal, and, and uh, so, and uh, I, you know, I was I was kind of doing all right, but uh, I I sold this undercover police officer some lysergic acid, LSD, and uh, and that didn't go over very well. When I sold it to him, I was in Virginia, in Martinsville, Virginia. And so, uh, you know, the, I go before the judge, and the judge says, well, you know, uh, and by this time, I'm using intravenous drugs. I'm drinking. I got all kind of, I got all kind of addictions. And uh, the judge says, well, uh, well, they found me guilty. You know, I didn't, I didn't have no, I didn't have, you know, and they kept me there doing the reports and all that kind of stuff, checking up on me. And when I finally got before the judge, he said, well, do you think the people that you hang around with, uh, you know, had something, you know, played a big part on uh, where life is taking you now? And I said, absolutely. I'm thinking I've got a way out. He said, well, I'm going to help you out. I'm going to do you a favor. I'm going to keep you away from them for a while. <laughs> so he gave me four years in the, in the Virginia State Penitentiary, and uh, and it, it was it was everything you ever read about. It was horrible. And... Uh, so I did a year up there, you know, and I'm thinking I've done enough. And I got turned down on parole, and, uh, you know, I'm still thinking I've done enough, so I left. Well, <laughs> they brought me back. They gave me some more time, and I'm not getting nowhere, so. And the next year, they turned me down on parole because I escaped a year before. And then, uh, you know, the next year, and uh, anyway, ended up doing three years and two months. And finally got out, and I met some, you know, a bunch of people from up in Virginia and around Roanoke and everything. And my friends, my new friends, have told me about how Roanoke was such a, you know, a cool place to be. And, you know, I still hadn't got it all out of my system. I'm, I'm I, you know, I, I'm in prison from 21 to 25. I'm still wanting to, you know, uh, party do my thing. So uh, anyway, I go up to Roanoke, and I jump from job to job. I find me a, you know, a, a saloon that some girl's going to give me free beer, and I'll drink till I pass out. And, 
you know, everything is just, you know, it's just a party, you know, it's just, uh, it's just a game and it's just a party. I'm not taking nothing serious and I'm bouncing around from job to job, still can't hold a job because, you know, I can't stay, you know, I, uh, I'm not worth a whole lot, you know, when you drink till you pass out three or four o'clock in the morning and then get up and try to make work the next morning, you ain't worth too much. <clears throat> Finally, I landed a job at, uh, and I, I stayed that long enough to get to a, uh, uh, they were going to give me some vacation. <clears throat> and so I came, I'd, by then I'd lost my driver's license. I'd got them back, I'd lost, lost my license. And, uh, but I still had a North Carolina driver's license. So I come back down here and one of my friends, they said, uh, well, look, we're, we're building a Miller Brewing Company down here and I can get you a job. And I'm like, a drunkard's dream. Yeah, I want a job, so I quit my job in Roanoke, and I immediately, you know, got on a construction crew and started building Miller Brewing Company, and I had grandiose ideas, you know, I'm going to help build this place and get a job in the plant, and oh my God, life will be grand, and and it didn't work like that. I worked until they got it built, but, you know, they didn't hire nobody on the construction crew. That wasn't what they was looking for. So, uh... Anyway, uh, I started, you know, bouncing around from job. I rode out my uh, unemployment long as I could, and, and back then there was a recession going on, and it seemed like there was a recession about every 10 years around here for some reason. Anyway, uh, so he extended, he extended benefits for a while, and I rode that out as far as I could. And I'm, I'm going to these, you know, by this time it's a disco thing now. Uh, so, you know, it's disco, uh, you know. Got a good reason to go out and get drunk. So uh, anyway, I, you know, we started going to, you know, and it, it, all these clubs started popping up, and uh, you know, it sort of gave you a reason. Think you had a reason to uh, to go out and drink and, and party and act crazy. And, and uh, so anyway, we come across. Uh, it was a, a time that uh, one of my buddies said, "Well, let's go. Let's work our way out to Houston." And uh, and we'll go to work out there. But he said, I, as a job in Tennessee, they're building a Nissan truck factory, and we'll go out there and work our way across. I said, well, that sounds like a great idea. But uh, what happened was, right before that, I had been in a car accident, and I about killed myself. I'd, uh, you know, I'd already got the drunk driving charge when I was a kid, and then, uh, um, then, uh, so I'm at, actually, I, I, I need to back up a little bit. I was working at a, a, a Baxter Kelly, and that's where they made this uh, velour material for like uh, upholstery and casket liners and, and, and stuff like that anyway. Uh, and I was staying drunk. I had a really good job, paying pretty good. And, but uh, anyway, it was an all-night party and uh, Moon's Dance Land. I don't know if... Any of y'all around this area and old enough to remember Moon's Dance Land, but anyway, it was it was a big deal out on 220 uh, between Madison and Greensboro. And we went out there and you know drinking, drugging, doing our thing, and the next day, uh, <clears throat> um, I'm still getting ahead of myself. <laughs> what happened was I, the week before that, I would I was. Uh, uh, Riding around with my friends, I parked my car, jumped in the car with them. They had some moonshine, 
and I wanted to, ha you know, have some of this moonshine. So, uh, you know, we drank a little bit, and I got back to my car, and, you know, I just moved from the car wash over to the convenience door, and I started going. A police officer came out, and he said, uh, come here just a minute. He said, if you had anything to drink? And I said, uh, well, actually, I work right across the street over there. I said, um, my car got the motor blown in it, and I just put a new motor in it, and I've been working on it during the day, and uh, and, uh, and and trying to get some sleep in and work third shift, and I'm on my way home now. I, I, yeah, I drank. I, I had. I drank a beer. He said, "You told me that same story last week." <laughs> I don't remember it. You know, uh, people are riding around today, blacked out. They don't know. They don't. They don't realize where they've been or what they did. And you know, I don't. I don't know really what I've done in the past uh, in blackouts. But the next week is when I went to this all-night party. Um, I hadn't, you know, hadn't been to court for this other, my second drunk driving charge. But uh, so, go to this party. I spend, I write a check to wash my clothes and dry them, and drank up the money. So I now I got to leave and go borrow some money to uh, to wash and finish washing and drying my clothes. And I get down the road and I, I look off and look up and I'm, I flip my car upside down in a culvert one of those enormous pipes it drains under the road upside down. When I come to, I broke both my arms, crushed my face, crawl out, get to the hospital. Uh, they have to do surgery on me. Both my arms are broke, my face, they wire my face back together. So I, vo I, I uh, you know, I made up my mind that, you know, I gotta quit drinking. Uh, you know, it's just, you know, I'm gonna kill myself. And so, but I had about four or five doctors, that was before computers, and I had about four different kind of, four different doctors that was uh, giving me any kind of pain medication that I wanted, and, and there was no way to check up on it and everything, and so I was, I was getting loaded, and you could buy quaaludes off the street. I don't know if any of y'all's old enough to remember quaaludes, but they'd really put you out there too. So, <laughs> anyway, I'm doing all this stuff, you know, and we, and me and my buddy, we decide, you know, after I get well, well, before I before I got well, I had to do corrective surgery. And uh, so I had to go to Chapel Hill, the University of Dentistry or something like that. And, and uh, they, they have to do this surgery on me and correct my face ain't healing back together. And they have to go in here and take bone out of my hip and, and put it up in my jaw and fix it. So... My ass is permanently on my shoulders now. <clears throat> so anyway, uh, you know, so I, I start healing up with that, but I'm not drinking, you know, and I'm, I'm, I'm going to the bars and, and looking at people with one eye and bragging about not drinking. And, uh, but, you know, I'm still doing my thing, still smoking weed, still doing pills and stuff like that. We go out to Tennessee and get on out there, and so we go to the bars, you know, and, I, you know, I'm sitting there, and the first thing some lady says is, why, what are you doing at a bar and you ain't drinking? So I, I got this keen alcoholic thinking mind, you know, I'm thinking, well, I'll get me a glass of white wine, and I'll sit it there, and that'll be my drink. I won't have to answer no questions about this drinking thing. But after I smoked a joint, I come out, I was, my mouth was dry. I had, you know, I, I stuck my tongue in that wine, and I, you know, and I, 
I didn't know anything about the allergy and you know of, uh, of alcohol and stuff like that. Uh, so, you know, before the night was up, next thing you know, I I drank all, everything that was in that glass, and I went home feeling good about what I had done because I hadn't felt the effects of alcohol. I'd stretched it out because you know. You, your body can process an ounce and a half of alcohol in an hour, and so if you're there a couple of hours, and you know, I didn't, you know, I didn't feel the effects of it, and I, I, I felt so good about it. The next night, I drank two glasses of wine, <laughs> and you know how it is. I, I, I'd started back. You know, that obsession started in, and the allergy, and, and the allergy took over. So you know, I'm back to drinking again. So you know, now I'm up to three drunk driving charges. We come back from there, and. I eventually uh, uh, get a fourth drunk driving charge. Um, uh, I got my, my youngest son with me. By this time, I've got another son. I teamed up with another alcoholic. And uh, we, we so we got another son out of the deal. <clears throat> and so uh, anyway, um, I get pulled, another drunk driving charge. And the severity is getting a little bit rougher now because, you know, I've had just my fourth drunk driving charge. And so I'm having to come out of pocket. I'm having to go. To, I'm having to do jail time. And uh, and uh, it was uh, embarrassing. I had to go, you know, through the penal system again. Um, I, you know, I finally, you know, I, I get I, I get out of that. And so uh, then um I'm leaving a bar, uh, you know, and I quit drinking for about, I thought, I gotta, you know, I gotta stop this again. So, you know, I'd already experienced not drinking for four and a half years. And so now I, you know, now I've done got another drunk driving charge and I'm thinking, well, maybe, you know, maybe I don't need to drink. So was, I went for about a year and I didn't drink. And that little voice told me, so, you know, oh, you know, old drink a liquor sure would be good, you know. And so I listened to it because I didn't want to get drunk. I just wanted I just wanted to drink. You know, if y'all ever just went out and you did, you just wanted to drink, but you see, we can't drink like uh, like you know people that can you know uh, tempered drinkers that, that can take a drink and go home. I take a drink, I go to jail. And uh, <laughs> and uh, so anyway, I I quit for about a year, you know, and then that voice started talking to me. Uh, and uh, I'm over at my buddy's house, and I am, I'm wall out. I mean, I'm knee-walking drunk. And, uh, and my, my buddy said, sit right there on the porch, and, uh, you know. And uh, so anyway, I decided, no, I'm, gonna, I'm, I'm, go, I'm leaving. So I go down to the bar, and I, I go to the bar and, and drink some more. And I'm, I stay too late, you know, because police, you know, they, they hang out around uh, closing time. <laughs> I get ready to leave, and they pull me. So I'm at the police station, and one of my schoolmates is one of the police officers giving me the, this test, you know, and he said, well, Jerry's a pretty good guy, you know, and the officers pat me down and everything, getting ready to give me his test. He said, Jerry's a good guy. He just likes to take a drink. And he reached in my back pocket and pulled out some weed, and he said, and smoke him a joint every now and then. <laughs> He reached up here in my shirt and he pulled out nine Xanaxes and he said, and take a pill every now and again. I said, Skip, just stop. <laughs> just stop. So, you know, now I'm, you know, I'm in trouble again. I'm going back to jail. I'm, you know, going through the penal system. You know, I'm, I'm up to five drunk driving charges uh, and, you know, getting fined. 
out to Yin Yang. My father is dying of cancer. And so I called home and found out that he was, you know, he was in really bad shape. And the next day he died. And so I asked for, uh, anyway, they were going to give me a three-day furlough. And, and he decided just to let me out on probation or parole, whatever. So, you know, I, I got out on uh, on parole. And, you know, I, I don't, that whole deal has left a bad taste in my mouth that I don't know if I'll ever get rid, I'll ever get rid of. But anyway, so I, I'm when I got out, they'd already bought me a place to live because they didn't want me home. So, you know, I got way behind on my house payments and everything, and I was going to have to leave. And my dad, you know, this was before the the last drunk driving charge, and he said. Um, I said, well, I said, I ain't made a house payment in a long time. He said, well, uh, what you going to do? I said, well, I guess I'm going to move out and move back in with y'all. He said, well, find out what the payoff is. <laughs> <clears throat> so he paid my place off, and, you know, that's been a real blessing to me, having a place to uh, to go. So I moved in with my mom. My dad died. I moved in with her. And uh, so I called myself looking after her. But by this time, I'd work. I'd found some new addictions, and at the time, you know, uh, crack was like really strong, and uh, you know, and I I didn't think I was like, uh, you know, it was gonna bother me. I, I think, you know, I don't even like this stuff. And uh, after about three years, I, I'm spending all my money on it, and still talking crap crap about it, crackheads, and I'm spending all my money on it. And I, I prided myself, and no matter how low I got, you know, I didn't steal from my parents. Well, now I'm stealing thousands of dollars from my mother. She didn't know. She was one of them people that knew how many coins was in her purse, and she got to the point where she didn't know how many Social Security checks she had in the wallet. Well, I did, and I knew how to get them cashed, and, you know, and so so we played that game till it played out. She died about three years after my dad did, and so now I'm like, all my enablers, they're gone, and I gotta move back out in the country with no driver's license. That, uh, it'd been taken indefinitely already. And, uh, but I, they'd left us with a little something, and so uh, we rounded up my brother. He was down in South America, <clears throat> one of them. And uh, we rounded him up. He come back up, and uh, so we, you know, divided money up and stuff like that, and liquidated things. And so I had some money, and I wasn't through, you know, I, I you know, I was six foot tall. I weighed 120 pounds. And I see people come up here, and they'll say, "Well, I got down to 150 or 60," and I'm thinking, "You still had some more drinking you could do." But I was down to 120, and I got down to 120 a couple of times in my life. But, you know, I was scanning bones, and, you know, you could play a tune on my ribs. And my older brother said I hadn't seen him in, like, 30 years. He was like, you all right? And I said, oh, yeah, I'm all right. Well, I was the epitome of not being all right. But anyway, so I blew my inheritance, you know, most of it. Uh, I did pay the back taxes on my place, and... Bought a new air conditioner, a lawnmower, and a push mower, and and all that stuff to get back on, you know, get get in, uh, get back to where I could uh, live. <clears throat> uh, and so, you know, I was out there in the country, and I, uh, I'm like 10, 12 miles out in the country, and I don't have no transportation. So I bought one of the things I bought was a moped, 
and then I went to jail for drunk driving on a moped. <clears throat> That's drunk driving charge number six. And I'm thinking, well, I got to quit, you know, I, I got to quit drinking. This drinking's killing me, you know, I can't do without, you know, do without a license and stuff. And I couldn't, you know, couldn't earn a living. And uh, so I, and I quit for another year. I quit drinking. But, uh, you know, I, I really wouldn't through completely through or doing, doing the other stuff, smoking my weed and stuff like that. But uh, there was that little voice again, you know, uh, you know, I, I didn't, I, you know, I didn't, I was running around with, you know, I wouldn't, I was, I, I didn't have no program. I, I hadn't, you know, I hadn't got into no program. I wouldn't fill in that void in my, in, you know, that hole in my soul or nothing. And so, you know, the next thing you know, that idea of old drink of liquor sure would be good went through my head. And so I took one, went to jail again for drunk driving on a moped. That was number seven. So I get out, and, uh, you know, life is really tough by now. I ain't, I ain't got no enablers. I ain't, you know, I'm not teachable. The, the skills I got, I can't do. Uh, I mean, I was, you know, I'd picked up on carpentry skills and uh, electrical uh, plumbing, floors, walls, ceiling, I could do anything on the house, but I didn't got to where I wasn't able to do a whole lot of stuff. And, you know, you can't take a four by eight sheet of plywood on a moped nowhere. You know, it was really hard for me to get work. And so, uh, but I found out that since, uh, since, uh, you know, I done got my seventh drunk driving charge by then. I found out that I, I still hadn't had an habitual offender charge on me. And I found I thought found out that it, you know if uh, that I could uh, if I went for three years, three or four years without getting in trouble, I could apply for a hearing. And so, uh, you know, I started. You know, I deliberated on it. And I, you know, I knew from trial and error that it was one two, one or two things for me. I'm drinking round the clock, and I mean round the clock. Y'all know how, y'all know what it is. You, you know, three o'clock in the morning seems like a perfectly good time to open another beer. You know, four o'clock in the evening seems like a good time to drink a beer. I would, ha I would have to, you know, take a drink before I left the house. Uh, and so, if if I had money, you know, I I was spiritual before I came here. I'd pray going down the hall to do one more beer in the refrigerator every morning. <laughs> anyway, I found out that uh, you know that you know I stood a chance, and so I'm out in my backyard, and I can remember it to this day. And and uh, I thought, well, I, I'm I, I don't know if I can do this by myself, and I'm mowing the yard, and and so. I, I said that prayer that, you know, you hear a whole lot of people come up here and say, and it was just as simple as God help me. I didn't say quit drinking. I didn't add or subtract anything to it. I just said God help me because I knew I was going to have to have some help. And, uh, and I knew that it was either drunk all the time or sober all the time. And that turned out, and the earth didn't shake. The winds didn't pick up. I didn't see no bright lights. And none of that happened, but I didn't know that there was a miracle happened to me at that very moment because I haven't had a drink or drug since that very moment. And so, uh, but I, I, had, I hadn't replaced, you know, that I hadn't even made plans to replace that, you know. I just, you know, I figured all I needed to do was quit drinking and drugging, and I was going to be all right. 
So we went on, you know, with that, and I had to jump through like a million hoops. I had to go through the, the uh, mental health program because, you know, back then the government would help you with mental health programs and stuff like that, social services and all. <clears throat> and uh, so I went through, They since I, my record was so bad, they put me through six months of outpatient treatment, and then I had to go through 14 weeks of aftercare. And all this was cost a lot of money and it was a lot of money then and so uh anyway every time i'd show up i'd bring them a little bit of money and you know i finally you know i got through that and um uh, so uh but the last time that i was in prison my last uh my last hopefully my last time in prison uh coming back they sent me to uh Dan Valley out here at uh, Yanceville uh, so I could go home from there. And while I was there, the night before I left, there was a guy came out and told his story, and some of y'all know him. They, they called him Strawberry. And Strawberry brought the message to that camp for years and years, and I heard his story. It didn't really, you know, I just wanted to get out of the cubicle I was in. Uh, I didn't, you know... And it, but it, you know, somewhat made sense. But I, you know, part of it didn't make sense. How is somebody telling me their alcoholic story going to help me? And so, but anyway, he somewhat planted a seed. And so, uh, but when I got out, I didn't go to AA. I didn't do nothing. And uh, you know, I just didn't drink. I went, jumped through all the hoops, and paid all my fines off. And you know, you'd think every, each time you went to court and you went to jail that you did, you know, you was good to go. No, you got to pay the court costs. You, I had to go back and pay all these costs of court. I had to pay all the attorneys, all that stuff, all my fines and fees. And so, uh, <clears throat> anyway, I made it through all that. And uh, and so I go to my hearing, and, you know, they got talked to my witnesses, and then they called me in there, and they said, well, do you go to AA? And I thought, well, what kind of a question is that? I'm not drinking. I hadn't drank nothing for about a year and a half at the time. And he said, well, do you go to church? I said, no, but I probably ought to. Well, that didn't really help my case either. Uh, he said, well, I see you don't have no signed statements or nothing here, so you know, you're not going to get your driver's license. We can't see any physical nothing that you're doing to improve yourself and, you know, and recover or get some recovery. And I left there, and I did, you know, I got turned down, and I thought I wasn't thinking about drinking, but I knew there was a few things that I needed to do. It was going to be another year before I could go before them again. And so I knew I needed to go to AA, I needed to go to church, and I needed to get some signed statements. And so the first thing I did, after a few attempts to try to find a, day, a daytime meeting uh, around the county, Rockingham County, I couldn't find everyone that I had an old flyer and it, it, every meeting that I tried to go to during the day was a discontinued meeting. So anyway, I knew that, you know, I was, I was going to have to go. So I, first I went to church. I showed up at church and I, I really liked the church and, and I liked what they got, had to say. But, you know, they, you know, I couldn't tell them everything. But I knew I had to go to AA, too, because that was the first question that the hearing officer had asked me. And so uh, it's, it was after uh, four years, uh, three years and nine months that I had not took a drink. I went to my first AA meeting. That was February the 10th of 2004. 
And so I went to that meeting and, uh, you know, I don't know what was said, but there was two things that I knew for sure. I wasn't going to get up there and read nothing, and I will never get up there and tell my story. That will never happen. But And I made it clear to everybody I was just there to get my paper signed, and I was going to get out of y'all's way because I could see y'all was pretty serious about this thing. And I, I did I, <laughs> I didn't really believe half of it anyway. I thought, you know, these guys, they, they, they're old and they ain't got nothing else to do. <laughs> and so they're just going in these meetings and being miserable together. <clears throat> but it didn't take me long for, you know, I started hearing some stories and I thought, you know, I wasn't as unique as I thought I was. It was people telling the same kind of story I was. They, you know, they did the same, you know, the same dirt that I did. And uh, so I started softening up to the idea that, you know, and I was, you know, I'd go out, you know, uh, to lunch and stuff with some of you, and I could see y'all wouldn't, you know, y'all didn't fog it up on the way home, uh, you know, and and it wasn't no talk of, you know, drinking and stuff. So anyway, uh, so I, you know, I finally gave in, and I thought, you know, it's, it's probably a good idea for me to, for me to stick around. And so I did get my driver's license back under the condition that, you know, I had to get into my, my car, I had to blow and go. And uh, I had to do that for three years. And, uh, you know, that, that was not an easy task to do, but, you know, I was willing to do whatever it was. I mean, you know, under any circumstance was better than what I, you know, uh, riding that moped. Um, and word got down to my brother down in South America that you know I, I was doing I was I was doing pretty good, and uh, so he invited me to come down. We had to go. I'd never been out of town, never been off the ground except in my mind, and uh, so <laughs> never flown nothing, you know. So anyway, I go down there. He spiced it up, you know. We decided he he took me on a luxury bus. We went out to Brazil. We stayed on the beach in Bombas the Bombas. Bombas y Bombinas Beach, Brazil, for 15 days, and what a that was quite a sight. Uh, the girls are really f- proud of their rear ends down there, <laughs> and they 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 love to show them, and they had something to show, and you know it was pretty pretty cool for an old guy. So anyway, uh, we you know I got to do that, and I you know and then we got on another bus, and we go to this place called. Some little town, I, I don't know, I can't speak Spanish or Portuguese, but we went to the Iwasu Falls. Now, it was, if y'all ever saw that little illustrated movie, it was called Up. Well, that was where that old couple was going to go when they retired, was the Iwasu Falls. Well, I went to the Iwasu Falls. You could put five Niagara Falls in the Iwasu Falls. It was, I got pictures to show. It's, it was majestic. It was beautiful breathtaking and indescribable. So I, anyway, I got to do that. And you know, now I'm I'm getting into, you know, what it's like now is what I what I'm what I'm into. And you know, and so I got to do that. And I, you know, and I, I you know, and I, I actually had my own company. I started working, you know, doing maintenance on houses and, you know, building additions, doing plumbing and carpentry and electrical and you know, and, and people trusted me and, you know, and I'd have Pillars of the community, millionaires, come up to me in places out in public and come over to me and say, I've heard a lot of good things about you, boy. <clears throat> and they didn't read about the, they didn't read about me in the newspaper like they did, you know, way back when. 
And so, uh, uh, anyway, that's that's you know that's been another big plus to gain uh, gain the confidence of my peers, gain the confidence of f pillars of the community, going to you know getting a uh, uh, being able to go out of the country with a visa and a passport, and and he's wanting me to come back down there, and all his friends down there they want me to come back too. I I don't know if that's in the cards, but. Anyway, and since then, you know, I, I have spoke at a lot of different places, all the way from the mountains of Statesville, all the way out to, to Raleigh, uh, you know, up to South Boston and uh, uh, Martinsville and, um, and all around, several places in Greensboro. And, you know, I've got a friend, I've got friends here. I go to a meeting every night, and I know about a third of the people in here. You, you guys know me. So uh, I'm I'm not a, a unfamiliar face to you guys, but uh, uh, you know life is good. I mean, you know, not only do I have a driver's license, there's two cars in my driveway. There's a van and two motorcycles, and they've all got tags on them. I got a driver's license in my pocket. I can go anywhere that any other free man goes and do 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 what uh, do what any free man can do today. And uh, you know, and I owe it all to the program of Alcoholic Anonymous because I had to fill that void that was missing in me. Now that guy that I told you about that told his story to me in the pen when I was leaving the penitentiary, his family he passed away, and his family asked me would I direct his memorial service. I said, Well, I'll give it a whirl, and uh, and it all went over well. You know, the, the lady playing the organ. She said, can I say something? And I said, sure. She said, I've been doing this for 24 years, and I've never seen a more spiritual uh, memorial service in my whole life. And I thought, well, we, we put old uh, Strawberry to rest in good fashion. I went back to that same prison, and I had to, I've had the fortune to tell my story four different times there. And it really makes your heart swell to go in a place like that and knowing you can relate to them, and they can absolutely relate to you. I debated about how I was going to close this time, and I've got a couple of ways I close. Anyway, this is what I've decided on. <clears throat> and it's out of a devotional book. Uh, it's... Uh, it's a Hazelton, but we, we're going to look over that. <laughs> We've already done Hazelton reading tonight. But it's called the bike, the bike Ride. At first I saw God as my observer, my judge, keeping track of things I did wrong so as to know whether I married heaven or hell when I die. He was out there sort of like a, the president. I recognized his picture when I saw it, but I didn't really know him. But later on, when I realized my higher power, it seemed as though life was rather like a bike ride. But it was a tandem bike, and I noticed that God was in the back helping me pedal. I don't know just when it was decided that he suggested we change places, but my life has not, has not been the same since. Life of my higher power, that, that is God, makes life exciting. When I had control, I knew the way. It was rather boring and predictable, but predictable. It was the shortest distance between two points. 
But when he took the lead, he knew delightful shortcuts and up mountains and through rocky passes. At breakneck speeds, it was all I could do to hang on. Even though it looked like madness, he said, pedal. I worried and was anxious and asked, where are you taking me? He laughed and didn't answer, and I started to trust. I forgot my boring life and entered into adventure. And when, I say, when, when I'd say, I'm scared, he'd lean back, touch my hand. He took me to people with gifts that I needed, gifts of healing, acceptance, and joy. They gave me these gifts to take on my journey, our journey, God's and mine. And we were off again. God said, give those gifts away. They're extra baggage, too much weight. So I did to the people we met, and I found that in giving, I received. And still, our burden was light. I did not trust him at first in control of my life. I thought he'd wreck, but he knew bike secrets. Knew how to make it bend and, and to take sharp corners. Jump to clear height places filled with rocks. Flying, fly to fly short, scary passages. And I'm leaning and I'm learning to shut up and pedal in the strangest places. And I'm beginning to enjoy the view and the cool breeze on my face with my delightful constant companion, my higher power. And when I'm sure I can't do anymore, he just smiles and says, pedal. Alcoholic Anonymous will not open the pearly gates for us, but it will sure open the gates of hell to let us out. Thank you.